Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so to me, one of the more intriguing storylines of the NFL offseason and the start of training camp has been everybody's obsession with Ben Roethlisberger's weight. Like, there have been all these stories and details about his weight and his diet and the kind of shape that he's in, and it's just getting kind of weird. You know, kind of weird right now. Why don't we start with the fact that this guy has never exactly been Timothy Richard Tebow when it comes to being chiseled and shredded, right? Like, I don't ever recall anybody from GQ magazine writing about Big Ben's, quote, thick polygons and smooth, flat planes and inescapable corn-fed handsomeness. End of quote. Somebody actually once put a pen to paper and said that about Tebow. Now, this is in no disrespect to Ben, right? That's never been his deal. In fact, when I talk to pass rushers, he is one of the guys they mention as being the toughest to sack because this dude is so big and he's so strong and he's so hard to knock down. But for some reason, it has really become a story. It's a thing. Like, let me read a quote from the man himself. Quote, This is Ben, quote, I'll say this, I'm the lightest I've been in about 15 years, end of quote. All right, now that sounds pretty significant, right? That sounds like news or a big news story or breaking news, right? Yeah, except for one problem. That statement was from August 2020. He said that he was the lightest he's been in 15 years, but he said it a year ago. So getting in and staying in shape has been something that Ben's been after for a while. But for some reason, it's back again. For some reason, it's a talking point once again. Like last month, there was the report from Ryan Burr, the quote, Ben will never mention the beating he has taken in the media, but says from a dedication standpoint, has never seen anything from Ben close to this in the past. Source says he's obsessed with diet and workouts, end quote. All right, so how obsessed? Well, we're about to find out. Because there was this tweet that read that Ben's, quote, camp says the biggest concern is weight loss. He has been so driven since the season ended, source says his diet is stricter than Brady's, end quote. All right, let's get real for a minute, right? Let's be real for about a moment. You can be focused on your diet. You can be strict with your diet. You can even be obsessed with your diet. But there is nobody on this planet that's got a diet that is more strict than Tom Brady's diet. I mean, that's just not possible. I mean, there's being strict with diets, and then there's avoiding nightshades like the plague. The hell even is a nightshade? Like, this guy won't go anywhere near a nightshade. Do you even know what a nightshade is? I mean, forget having white sugar. This guy wants everybody to know he is so dedicated to his diet that according to Brady's personal chef, there's, quote, no coffee, no caffeine, no fungus, no dairy, end of quote. So, like, you think you're tough and you're disciplined because you're cutting out desserts. Brady cut out white sugar, coffee, caffeine, and dairy. This guy thinks you're lightweight if you're still eating fungus. This is how dedicated Brady is. And the chef had one more line, quote, tomatoes trickle in every now and then, but just maybe once a month, end of quote. Like, this dude's cheat day 
is a freaking tomato. If I eat a tomato, I think I'm a plant-based legend. Like, if I eat a tomato, I want credit. This dude acts like a tomato is a hot fudge sundae. Like, I'll treat myself to that tomato, but only if I do a triathlon first. All right, so back to Ben for a minute and his allegedly better diet than Brady's. Naturally, the topic of Ben's diet came up in a conversation with the Washington Post. And even he wasn't buying the hype that he's more strict than Brady. Quote, I mean, listen, as you get older, for the last four or five years, I've really been focused on having a trainer, my body. Part of it's football, but part of it's life. I'm not getting any younger. I'm almost 40 years old. So you've got to take care of yourself. And nothing against Tom, but I'm not eating avocado ice cream. End of quote. All right, now we're getting somewhere. Like, get out of here with that nonsense. You better keep my name out your mouth and avocado ice cream out my mouth. You come at me with an avocado cone, you're getting these hands. And these hands are not as fat as they used to be. He went on and I quote, yeah, you have a chef and you try and eat healthy, but you're eating healthy because you want to be and feel good. End of quote. Yeah, like I want to be and I want to feel good. I sure as hell don't want to eat any avocado ice cream. Is eating avocado ice cream going to make you feel good? From the way the quote was reported, he's talking about avocado ice cream the way Joachim Noah used to talk about Cleveland. You know, kind of like, you think avocado ice cream's cool? I never heard anybody say, I'm going to eat avocado ice cream on vacation. What's so good about avocado ice cream anyway? Listen, here's what I'm getting at. And here's why I'm going to leave the show with this right now. Here is the bottom line for me when it comes to Ben and his fitness and his diet and whether or not he has a stricter diet than even Tom Brady. If he's more dedicated than ever and he's working with a chef and he's watching what he eats, great. Personally, I'm not going to sweat that because this is a guy who's already had a Hall of Fame career as a big fat, big dude. This guy's an NFL quarterback, man. An NFL quarterback who's going to the Hall of Fame. He's not some kind of like underwear model. He doesn't need to have 3% body fat to be successful. So if Big Ben wants to drop a few pounds, that's cool. Just know this. I don't think that's the difference between them winning a Super Bowl or not. Like Ben, Ben's taking last year's dinking and dunking to the dinner table. Like, no big chunk plays here. I'm all about reinventing your body, but that extra cushion that you were carrying around was pretty helpful when you were shedding off DNs in December. All right, so with all due respect, you are Big Ben, not Bony Ben. And this whole obsession with this guy and this diet and how much weight he's lost and how much better he feels. I mean, does it really matter? I'm going to say no. just want to set the record straight. And no, your, dude, your diet is not stricter than Tom Brady. Not when Tom Brady thinks that tomatoes <laughs> are cheat days. Never get my head wrapped around that. I mean, this guy's amazing, right? The goat, right? I've got no issue with that. But acting like a tomato is a hot fudge sundae? Come on, man. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of weight and weight loss, I will get into what happened to me in Wisconsin today. Couldn't get there yesterday, but I will get there today. 
Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Mick Cronin is my guest. Mick, before we get into the offseason and the preparations for next season, how you doing, Mick? What have you been up to this summer? Trying to get in shape, Romy, man. I turned 50, so, you, you know, that hits you like a brick. But, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't walk the golf course quite as easy. <laughs> the reality starts hitting you in the face, man. Trying to get in shape, buddy. My man, listen, I know, Mick, that because you have a busy life, you probably did not hear the prior segment, but I just told this horror story about how I went to Wisconsin for two weeks and did everything I could to prevent weight gain, only to come back and be mortified when I jump on the scale. And I didn't even want to tell you what I did to lose the weight that I gained. But tell me about that. Like, what is your approach? As you turn 50 in terms of nutrition, exercise, how are you attacking this thing? Well, the biggest key is like doing what I'm doing. It's uh, so during your interview, I, I obviously take advantage of uh, Westwood. I'm walking around outside with 75 degrees, as you know, <laughs> always in Westwood, and uh, just get up and walk and talk. So you got you got to get tricks. So when you have our jobs, right? Of course, you got television now with your show, so you can't do what I'm doing. But I'm walking around our tennis center right now while I'm talking. You got to stay active, man. That's I think that's what happens. You get locked in on watching too much film, and you're in the gym nonstop, and you're tired. And then when you have a stepson that's 15 and my daughter's 14, you cannot eat with them because all it is is in and out and pizza. That's all it is. This is 100% true, Mick. Number one, what I'm hearing from you is movement, movement. You have to keep moving, which is true. And number two, I do have a college-age son, and I've got a high school-age son. And, yes, if it's in the pantry – because it's for them and not for us, we will find it. All right, so I appreciate that. Also, so last month you tweeted that you met up with Frank Vogel. What was that like when you guys got together? Were you talking shop or just hanging out? Well, Frank and I are both from the same coaching family of Coach Patino. So Frank was with Coach Patino at Kentucky. That's where he started. And uh, we sent Coach Patino that picture. He was working with uh, the Greece national team trying to get in the Olympics. So uh, we just, you know, I was actually having breakfast with Kareem down in Newport, and uh, Frank came over to say hi, uh, and we're going to get together in a couple weeks here with uh, the uh, the significant others and go to dinner. But uh, just, to, you know, it, we, we talked shop the other day, too. He, he gave me a call about something. So, it, you know, it's, uh, it's good to have friends that you can bounce things off of because, like, uh, you know, we're going to be ranked high this year, Jim, so, you know, expectations in Westwood are high. Uh, you know, as Coach Vogel deals with with the Lakers, when you coach LeBron, you either win a championship or you don't. So, you know, it's good to have people that uh, you, you can be friends with and talk to that are in similar situations. We're talking to Mick Cronin. I love that, Mick. I, I also love that, as you know, expectations will be high. But the thing is, one of the things that really resonated with me throughout the tournament and that run that you made was the message that, listen, we are UCLA. The Final Four is where we're supposed to be. These are the internal expectations that you had. Now there are going to be a lot of external expectations, as you just mentioned, and hype. So how are you approaching that and handling that with your players? 
Well, uh, first of all, I, I you know I hammered that message, Jim. So you know I'm glad you picked up on it because I think you know when I had to get these guys, they had never been that, to a Final Four. I had I had no guys that ever played in the NCAA tournament. Chris Smith had played one game, but he was out for the year. So uh, I was trying to make sure they they knew that uh, I believed in them and that they need to believe that the other teams like, hey man, we're playing UCLA. They get the most national championships. So I was. Trying to, you know, I've been doing that since I got here. Look, we have a responsibility here to to live up to our our tradition. We had a lot, obviously we've had, you know, uh, besides Coach Wooden, we've had the, the most storied alumni in, in the history of college basketball. So uh, I came to that knowing full well uh, what what it is, and I embrace the expectations. But I will tell you, to answer your question about this season, as my friend told me, there's two kind of people: those that are humble and those that are about to be humbled. So we got to make sure that uh, we, we get our humility back in check. Uh, everybody's told us how great we are since we came back to L.A. after the Final Four. Uh, I told them, you know, we're going to have a great summer and, you know, relax. But when things get real get serious, uh, Coach Cronin will be making sure that uh, humility is number one on the uh, docket in, in the Mo Austin Practice Center every day. We will We will be humble. Uh, and embrace the things that Coach Wooden taught. I'm just a huge believer in it. When you're not humble, you're going to get humbled soon. I like that. Mick Cronin's joining us. You know, Mick, last month I talked to Martin Jarmond, your athletic director. Couldn't have been more impressed. And then Johnny Juzang, also I was extremely impressed with him, about the vibe around the program. So what was your reaction when Johnny announced that he would be coming back? Well, I was hoping for Johnny he would be a first-round pick. Hmm. But knowing how smart Johnny is, and he's just he's such an intelligent kid, he's got great support system, great family. Uh, he, you know, he's only 20 years old, so there's no need to force the issue. So many of these guys go undrafted trying to make it the hard way when he doesn't have to. You know, he, he can stay in, at UCLA. He's, you know, he's home, literally home. Uh, hopefully this year everything continues to uh, – go as it's played out now you know the virus has been bad but you know we can have fans and he can have a real experience at ucla this year and try to get yourself into the first round you know one one thing i've never understood is so many guys trying to force the issue before it's ready the nba tells you when they want you i mean it's it's, they're pretty clear about it and if you're a first round pick and they're going to give you guaranteed money and they're going to sink uh, they're going to sink their resources into you and give you a chance to develop. It's the, you know, then it's time to go. But uh, I, Johnny was too smart to to make a mistake and put himself in a situation that he doesn't need to be in. You know, he he's got a great family. He's some kids. I get it, Roman. They're in need. Uh, you know, they got to help people eat, and it's you know Johnny's not in that situation. So I wasn't surprised. But for all my guys, you know, hey, I'm hoping I have multiple first-round picks next year. Uh, obviously, after uh, we have a great season, though. UCLA head basketball coach Mick Cronin. Got to have that great season first. I know that's the goal. In fact, the program, Mick, announced the non-conference schedule yesterday. It's unbelievable. You've got Villanova coming to Pauley early in the season. You've got Gonzaga later in November. You have North Carolina in December. How much are you looking forward to those matchups? Well, I think those, you know, look, if you're, if you, you're saying you want to be, a, you're a blue blood and you, you want to be an elite program and, and you want elite recruits, look, they want to play in these games, Jim. I mean, you know, that's just a fact. Uh, I want to coach in those games. So 
that's what UCLA is all about, uh, trying to make sure we're at that level, keep us at that level. And, you know, that, that, that when, when you think about those types of teams in college basketball, you immediately think of, you know, those types of games, uh, you know, where you're in, you're, you're playing North Carolina on a neutral or you're playing Gonzaga and, and you're both, we could be one, two in the nation. You know, Villanova's top five. They've won two titles. They got a lot of guys back. Obviously, Jay's a friend of mine, a great coach. So we were able to pull that one off. And it, it's tough this, these days, though, to get home and homes, Jim. People don't understand. We, you know, we only get 31 games. Uh, two or three of those are in your tournament. And then now that you play 20 league games, and then with, with the, the neutral sites, and then you got to pay the bills with so many home games. It's it's hard to get teams to play you home and home. It's really hard to get teams to play you home and home from other parts of the country. So we were fortunate to get Villanova, and it's a constant search to try to get that. But I think it's important. You know, fans, they want to see these kind of games. And you, you got to give your, your season ticket holder something. So in the non-league. So, you know, I'm very excited we were able to get Villanova. 100%. Really quickly, Mickey, like throughout your time at UCLA, the team is 20-7 and seven in games decided by five points or less. That's a big enough sample size to say that that's not an accident. How do you explain that? Is it about scheme? Is it about mentality? Or is it about something else? I didn't know that stat, Jim. But now I, you I hear, do. This is, this is the problem with coaches. You know what I know? I've lost it to buzzer four times since I've been mm. here. Right. One to Stanford, two to USC, and one obviously on a half court bank shot for the Gonzaga. So I wish that was twenty four and three. I, you know, I think uh, you know we, we practice playing smart every day. We 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 really try to, um, but again, I'm trying to be humble about it because if you're you know that could go the other way. So some of it's luck. We do try to practice playing smart. When I say that, I mean we coach uh, we coach getting fouled. Uh, we coach shot selection. And we really coach playing defense without fouling and making teams beat us, not giving games away. Uh, we show a lot of film on it. We try to teach kids on it. So maybe that's helped us a little bit. Maybe some of it's luck. I know this. It was some kind of run and a run that you want to appreciate, but you want to remain humble. You want to be ready when the real running starts. And that's a horse racing term. Next time we'll talk horses, Mick. It is great to have you back on the show. Always appreciate the visit. Mick, great to get caught up. Thanks so much. Thanks, Romy. Hey, if you're out of Del Mar this weekend, text me. I'm taking my dad down. Hey, Mick, by the way, we may have a homebred running. I might be there this weekend, so I will. Are you going to be there Saturday <laughs> or Sunday or both? I'll be there Saturday. Saturday. Mm. i got to get him back Sunday. He I can got only you. take so much. <laughs> All right. You got it, Mick. I'll well, find good you. luck this weekend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mick. So i got a little story for you. Why don't we talk about this over-under of seven and a half? You know how many of you ghouls have nothing better to do than sit around and wait for an athlete or a celebrity to gain a single pound or five or 30 so you can rush in and mock them as if you're some sort of Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. Like you're some sort of Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. Yourself. Well, obviously, again, I was in your crosshairs because you knew that I was going to Wisconsin for two weeks. So a number of you were, in fact, calling your shot even before I got on the airplane. Let's see how fat Rome is when he gets back. I knew this. I knew, so I'll be damned if I was going to give you what you wanted. I mean, the motivation to chunk out or not chunk out certainly was personal. All right? I was doing it for me. It was personal. I'm trying to stay on the path for me. I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it so you can't talk crap, but sure, 
I will own that was a tiny part of that, right? Like, I don't want to come back in here and give you ghouls the satisfaction of hitting me with, hey, fat boy. Hey, Krispy Kreme's fat boy. Krispy Kreme, fat boy. Dairy Queen, fat boy. Cheese curds, fat boy. I know you were waiting on it. I know you were waiting on it. Not for my content. Not to hear what I had to say about anything relating to sports. You were waiting to find out how fat I had gotten. I know it for a fact. 1-800-636-8686 is your telephone number. All right, this is crazy. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to tell you a story. And what I'm laughing at is the fact that Jano just hit me up on text. She's still in Wisconsin. She's watching. She does not know this story. I was hoping she was not watching. I don't want her to know this story. I was not going to tell her this story. My wife is at the scene of the crime watching, and she's going to hear it live with the rest of you. What I'm saying to you is I'm about to tell you a story that I haven't told anybody else. My own family doesn't know this. All right? Here's the bottom line. Oh, oh, Jano, what's up? Love you. Change the channel. So I hit my second trip to Wisco, and I got a decent plan. I go in knowing it's vacation. I'm going to put on some weight, period. However, I'm going to do everything I can to manage that number and mitigate the damage. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with the intermittent fast. I'm not going to eat anything before 11 o'clock. I'm going to hit the Peloton for 60 minutes every single day. It's going to help. Like the Peloton's a thing. Like you don't do that to lose weight per se. But if you do that and you do it every single day the way I did on vacation, it's a win. It's something I can bank every day is a win. So no matter how much damage I do at night, I've already knocked out those 60 minutes and I've burned somewhere between 700 and 800 calories. Jano already knows that. Sweetie, change the channel. She doesn't know what's coming up. All right, so change the station, Jano. All right, so honestly, there were multiple days where I doubled up. And I did a 45-minute ride later in the day after I did a 60. So a 60 and a 45, like two-a-days. I didn't do it every day, but I probably did it like four or five times. And on the days when I didn't do two-a-days, I did 60s. I worked out. I rode the Peloton every single day I was there, except one day when the internet got knocked out. So I've done the planning. I've planned my work. I've worked my plan. I'm feeling pretty good about it, or so I thought. Here is the only thing that I did not account for. When I'm at home, I weigh myself like three times a day. I mean, I'm weird like that. It's weird. I get it, but it works for me. I don't have a scale in Wisconsin. I don't know what kind of damage I'm doing. I just know some damage is being done. And while the Peloton is not a weight loss machine per se, I'm hitting that thing hard, right? So, the moment of truth, I get home Saturday, Saturday, like three days ago, feeling a little chunked up. You never want to get on the scale after a two-week bender in Wisconsin. I get off the airplane, I go right from LAX right to the scale. I'm not going to lie, flat out mortified to see the number that pops up like I can't even believe it I'm talking jungle caramel type bleep jungle caramel 
I mean, I'll own it. I'll even tell you what that number was. I'm not proud of this, and I'm not proud of what I did after this. It wasn't smart. Sweetheart, change your channel. Change your channel. It wasn't smart. It wasn't healthy. But this is real. This is me being real. Even after hitting, and this comes back to James Kelly. This is amazing. Even after hitting the Peloton every day, sometimes twice, and trying to be responsible with what I was throwing down my gullet, when I jumped on the scale Saturday afternoon, I had gained seven pounds in two weeks. Seven. As bad as I've been on any vacation for the past 30 years, that's never happened. Imagine the bleeping damage I would have done if I wasn't, quote, being careful. Keep in mind, this is this past Saturday. I traveled all day. I feel kind of jacked up when I get home. I see that number. Well, of course I felt jacked up. I just had two weeks of consumption where I gained seven pounds. Of course I felt like crap. So what did I do? I immediately went into, oh, hell no mode. Hell no. No way I show up on Monday and give those ghouls what they want. I immediately go into prize fighter MMA weight cut mode. This is Saturday, all right? I'm plus seven. Normally off a of vacation, the first thing I do is I empty my suitcase and I get organized. Bleep that. I go right to the bike. The office that I have is maybe 85 degrees. I don't turn on the air. I go right to that bike on Saturday. I knock out 60. I'm just laying it all out here for you. This is what I did. This is my weight cut. Because there's no way I'm giving you ghouls what you want on Monday. I knock out a 60. Then I go on an impromptu fast. Well, sort of. Liquid but virtually no food for 24 hours. Then another ride. Then more weight cut strategies that I will not get into. Fast forward to yesterday morning, the day I return to work, I hop on that same scale. It's a fact. I got on that scale Saturday afternoon plus seven. I did everything I had to do between that and Monday morning. I get on that scale. I drop the same seven that I picked up the last two weeks. Fact. Not bragging. Not proud about it. And don't at me about how reckless and dangerous it is. I get it. I know this. I get that gaining seven pounds in two weeks and losing it in less than 48 hours is not that bright. I know what it is. I also know this. There's no way in hell I was showing up Monday morning with you asking me how many buckets of jungle caramel that I smashed. Jungle caramel. So, same as I ever was. At least the same as I was before I left. But now I've got a pretty good sense of what that weight cut must be like for a fighter before he or she jump into the ring or the cage. Man, it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty, and it ain't smart, and it ain't healthy. But here we are. Here the bleep we are. Hopefully that never happens ever again. Unless there's a way to ride both my Pelotons at once, I cannot keep doing that to myself. But more importantly, though, sucks for you clones. You can take me off that list. You can take me off the list of Dean can't stop eating. Take me off the list of Dane Cookie, Ken Gravy Jr., Eric Snowcone. Kelvin binge on Hamon.
Breddy Cakesy, Adelephant, Russell Grow. You can save your email signed Jim Hometown Buffet or Never at the Gym Rome. And I'm not going to send tweets to myself requesting the fat achievement alarm. Did I get fat? Are you? Are you? Is anybody not fat? Fat, 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 fat. Same as I ever was. Same bleeping number. Same bleeping number, and I'm not even going to get into how I did it. I'm telling you, man, I hit that Peloton every day. And twice on a lot of those days. And I had an intermittent fast, and that was the number I saw, man. Absolutely mortified. And all I could think is bleeping clones are going to get exactly what they want. The hell they are. Oh, hell no. The ultimate weight cut. So, yes, right now I weigh the same that I weighed when I left. Of course, I put on seven and took it off in 36 hours. How you like me now? Fat boy. Fat. Man, that was a roller coaster. And I really hope the wife, she must have changed the channel or my phone would be blowing up right now. Max Homa is my guest. Max, good to have you on. How are you? I'm good, man. It's good to talk to you. How you doing? Good, good, Max. Great to talk to you. Let me first ask you about your playing the St. Jude Classic over the weekend. You did some, or did so, in some pretty sharp shoes. For those who do not know, what was the story behind those shoes, and what did they mean to you? Oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah, thanks for asking. It, uh, so the, the WGC St. Jude, obviously, is, is partnered with the St. Jude Children's Hospital. It means a lot to me, um, and, and it should mean a lot to everybody. We did a, a partnership with one of the uh, kids there. His name's Calvin. He's awesome. So we met uh, over Zoom a couple months ago and designed these shoes that would have things that kind of like our, 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 our favorite stuff, like our favorite food, our favorite sports. Uh, he had two of his, his quotes on there that were awesome. Uh, and then we put our favorite, uh, my favorite number on one shoe and his favorite number on the other shoe. So it was really cool to wear. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. The, 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 the St. Jude stuff is, is incredible what they do and getting to meet one of the kids and get to have a little bond and, and feel like he's kind of with me throughout the week was awesome. Uh, and, and I know it put a smile on his face and it put a big smile on mine. Good for you. What an awesome response that is. Max Homer joining us. So you've been a top 10 at Riviera, Bay Hill Memorial. It's a run which includes your win at Riviera. So what does that tell you? Those kinds of results in prestigious tournaments like that, what does that tell you about where your game is right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it means that, you know, even when the, the, the fields are really good, I think that, uh, you know, I, I can play some pretty good golf and kind of my, my good golf, I think, stands out a bit, which is awesome to know. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun year getting to see some improvements and to, and to show up in, in some of the, you know, the invitationals and whatnot. Um, you know, just uh, golf's tough, man. You, <laughs> you're constantly wondering if you're good enough. And I think, you know, this year especially has really helped me uh, feel feel like I am uh, just because of you know what you just referenced those events playing well there uh, winning at Riviera was was amazing so uh, just kind of continuing to validate what what I'm doing and 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 feeling just a little bit more confident uh, each week. So Max, what about the approach going forward in the sense that you're getting close to the start of the FedEx Cup playoffs? Does that approach change at all when you get to the playoffs, or do you still try to approach it like any other tournament? Yeah, you know, last year I felt like I learned a lot. I felt like last year I was, I was a little bit too focused on, you know, how each stage gets cut and what I needed to do to make sure I made it to that next stage. And, 
and I felt like I was, it, I wasn't just playing golf. So this year I'm really focused on just going out and, and, and trying to, trying to play great golf, trying to ball out, trying to, to have some fun and, and make a bunch of birdies, uh, like, like I would on a normal week, uh, or at least try, try to on a normal week. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, the playoffs are interesting. Obviously, golf uh, is somewhat relatively new to the game, so it's not something that we, we you know think of, I guess, on top of our head when we think about golf tournaments. But it is a different wrinkle, and you got to you know kind of uh, do your best to keep the same mindset you would have on, on a normal stretch of, uh, of tournaments. So uh, that, that's you know that's what I've learned so far. I'm hoping to put that put that into into action this year and see if that works a bit better. Max Homa, my guest, you know I love mindset. I absolutely love the topic of mindset. You and I have talked about this in the past. In fact, I've been looking forward to this particular conversation because of your approach on the course and your thoughts about that mindset. A few weeks back as an example, you were on the You Never Know podcast and you were talking about the difference, Max, between being calm and being at peace. What is the difference between those two things? I really think that you can fake being calm. You can outwardly not, you know, be moving too fast or moving too slow. You know, not, you, you can, you can look like you are, you are, uh, you know, kind of just like even keel. But I think when you're at peace, it's deeper. It means that anything that kind of comes at you, uh, any adversity, it just kind of bounces off because you know that you're going to be okay. If you hit a bad, for in my world, at least in golf, if you hit a bad golf shot, you already know that's all going to happen. And it's just a part of what's, you know, that, what that day is going to hold. So if you can just kind of get into that, into that state of mind where I think you have to fake it maybe a little bit and be, you know, the fake calm for a while. But I think once you start to accept everything that happens, it just, everything starts to kind of fall into place. You start to let yourself be an athlete and let yourself hit good golf shots, knowing that, yeah, they're not all going to be perfect, but uh, we're just going to kind of keep, keep kind of, knocking on the door as, as, as much as we can. And at the end of 72 holes, uh, see, see where you end up. And I just think that's the best way to not only play golf, but to kind of, kind of live when you can get in that, into that state of mind. Interesting. Like, seems like on some situations or in some situations, Max, you feel like you got to push back. You got to impose your will. You got to fight. You got to grind. But at the same time, I heard you say recently that if you're missing it in one direction off the tee, you could try and fight it. But instead, maybe you just go with it and maybe you play it that way. It seems like kind of a simple concept. But how hard is it not to try to impose your will and to check your ego, not to fight it and just, quote, play the miss that's happening at that time? or during that day yeah you said it perfect checking your ego is hard man we all want to be you know superhero we all want to be able to hit every good every golf shot the right way quote unquote but instead it's just if you can just repeat what's happening uh it all works out the same but yeah it's tough you golf really uh if you have an ego in golf you get kicked in the in the face pretty fast (laughs) you got to just take what you have and and do your best with that each day um it's kind of the beauty of the game i guess um, and it's tricky, but that's 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 why it's a that's why it's a maddening game at times. But I mean, if you're hitting a five yard, ten yard cut every time, you can never make the ball draw, and you decide to try to make the ball draw. I mean, you are just you're being crazy. Might as well. It, it's it's a it's a blessing to be able to hit the same shot over and over again, even if it's not the most pretty thing in the world. At least you know where it's going to go. Max Homa joining us. So, Max, what about, like, as a sports fan, you understand the analogy, a starting pitcher, like, they got to find a way to win even on days when they don't have their best stuff. How important is it for you and what you do to be competitive and grind for those top tens even when your game does not feel perfect? Yeah, it's awesome you use that analogy. One of my buddies, uh, 
uh, is a pitcher in, down in a league in Mexico, and we talk about this all the time. I say, hey, if your curveball's not working, what do you do? Like, how do you get out? How do you how do you win the game? And we're just talking about trusting, you know, he calls it trusting his fastball and like just owning that and knowing that, okay, this is what I have today and I'm going to make the most of it. I'm not going to, you know, try too hard. As you said, I'm, I'm going to check my ego. I'm not going to force this curveball in there if it just doesn't feel like it's working at all. And that's in golf. You know, that's what we've been trying to work on this year. My caddy and I, it's like, Hey, be more honest saying, Hey, you know, this shot doesn't feel good right now. Uh, let's go to the other one, even though it might not be, you know, our plan before the day, but let's just make sure that we're putting ourselves in the best, in the best spot to succeed. So we're not kind of fighting our own, our own body and our own mind. All right. So Max, there are a lot of things I want to ask you, but I'm trying to be very respectful about your time. You mentioned your caddy. I know that you've got a really tight relationship with your caddy. How would you describe the relationship with Joe and what is it that makes it so special and why is he so critical to you? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it would definitely be compared to a, a brotherhood in a way like siblings <laughs> i've known him for so long uh you know it's just i respect him a lot i'm around him a lot and uh we do a lot of things together off the golf course so uh, it's a critical relationship just because i i think i have so much trust in him i know that he wants me to do as well as i want me to do uh, and i want that back for him so he knows that if if things are going sideways uh you know i i <laughs> I feel just as bad as anybody for it. Uh, and when I ask him for any advice or, or if he gives me constructive criticism, I take it really well because I know that it's coming from a good, a good spot. And, you know, I've always really appreciated that from him. And, and like I said, just, just, he, I, he was somebody I looked up to growing up uh, in the game of golf. He's a little older than me and he was a lot better than me. So even when I look back on that now, it's just, you know, if I ask Joe for, um, you know, hey, am I doing this right, wrong, or should I change this? And he, he tells me I, I take, uh, you know, I take it um, really, really well, and I, I feel like I, I try and, you know, in an odd way, try to make him proud to be part of, like, this little team, and, and I know he's doing the same on his end. Max Holman, my guest. I'm going to get to that Gillette hit in one second, but I do have to ask you this because you're a legend on Twitter, which is great. <laughs> but at the same time, Max, I'm curious, how does social media and the phone fit into pursuit of being calm or being at peace? Because a lot of times Twitter is not about either of those things. Yeah, no, it rarely, <laughs> rarely is. Right. Uh, I've gotten, uh, I've really learned about this uh, button they, they called the mute button on Twitter this year. Uh, oh, so yeah. I'm trying to take a, take a lot of, I've used, uh, I've muted a bunch of words. I've muted like, gosh, 800 accounts. I realized, as you referenced earlier, uh, you know, if I want to be peaceful and, 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 and enjoy my life a bit more, I need to make sure I'm filtering out the, the junk. And um, that can be tricky with that. But I, I like Twitter. I like going on it. So I'm making sure that I'm just really looking at sports stuff and not, uh, not all the other junk that, that kind of gets, gets filtered into that. So doing my best there. But that, that's a tricky one. But at the same time, it's like, there is an avenue and in a way uh, in which you can still uh, kind of get all that all that away from you. Uh, you just have to be a little bit more mindful and, uh, and and use that button a little bit more. You nailed it. There's something that amazing though that happened on Twitter back in early May. Somebody on Twitter posted, "quote Day one of tweeting at Max Homa to play a round of golf with me," and you responded, and I quote, "Day one of me saying I'm busy that day." End of quote. I mean, what an amazing exchange that was. What did you think about this person tweeting at you? I don't. It just it started off so harmless, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I kept it going with him. Um, but you know, he's he's a he seems like a pretty harmless dude. I've talked to him quite a bit uh, since then, and uh, you know, I I I do not mind playing golf with with strangers. We do it all the time. 
Uh, he's completely earned it. He was uh, he was resilient. I like resiliency, <laughs> but it was just funny, you know. I mean, as a kid, it, you would be you would be over the moon if you knew that somebody was just like doing their best to just play a round of golf with you. So you got to remember that as you get older. Like, hey, don't you're not you're not you know bigger than this. So you know, if if that's if that's what makes somebody happy, let's go do it. Yeah, Max, I want to be very clear about this though. Like you, he this kept on that was day one and it got to day 25 and then you finally tweeted quote all right man i can't believe you made it this far but 25 is my favorite number so you win for real this time i'm astounded by your persistence it's admirable and a bit weird but let's play golf when the season slows down oh damn you to set it up i am truly out of excuses at this point i gotta ask i mean is this really going to happen or is that another polite way of maybe kind of getting out of it no, 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 this is going to happen. He even told me, he's like, hey, if you, you know, don't want to do it, we're all good. But I was like, no, we'll make it happen. Uh, so, yeah, once the season's over, once I get a little bit of time, uh, you know, hopefully in the winter out here in uh, Arizona is really nice, uh, we can get him to come on out and, and play a little play a little golf, uh, get to meet him. And, and, you know, it sounds like it'll be a, be a fun time. Hopefully he's... Hopefully he's as normal as he seems. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> dude, ho- hopefully, but you're as good a dude as you seem. That's an amazing story. Listen, Max, take your time with this. You're working with Gillette Deodorant and the 72 Club. What are you working on, and what is the 72 Club all about? Yeah, well, first off, you know, they came out with this new 72-hour uh, la- uh, long-lasting deodorant, which is awesome. It works really well. I just had it last week in Memphis, which is as hot as can be, and it stood up uh, to, to what it's to do so that was cool but yeah they're they're doing a lot for the game of golf uh, they they have this next gen golf city tour that's uh giving opportunity for people who uh don't typically get to play competitive golf to go out there and compete and try to shoot 72 as we all would like to shoot even par uh they have a bunch of tournaments across the country they have a tour championship at the end um they're just doing a, a really a really good job for such a big big company to to want to get in the golf space and give people this chance to compete um you know that's why i think so many people play golf is you know it's a little too difficult as you get older to go play football or basketball with your buddies golf is kind of the avenue so to give uh give people a way to get their competitive juices flowing uh it's just awesome Dude, you just nailed that. A two-time PGA Tour winner. He's got one win in five top ten finishes this year. Appearing courtesy of Gillette Deodorant today. Max, I really appreciate you and that conversation, man. Thanks so much for that. That was great. Thank you. You're a legend. Thanks for having me on. We are joined by Gerald McCoy. Gerald, it is so good to have you back. How are you? I'm excellent, man. I am great. I am great. I am great. How you doing? My man, exactly. I, I would expect you to say that. It is so good to hear your voice. In fact, you've had, I'm great, by the way, thank you. You've had your first few days of practice with the Raiders after you signed with them last week. So what did it feel like to be back on the football field? How good did that feel? Oh, it was great, man. Uh, I've been, you know, it's, different, it's a different thing to train and prepare to be at practice, but to actually be at practice and you know, be around the guys and get in the individual period and hear the whistles and guys all over the place and this coach screaming, that coach is, man, that's just my environment, man. I feel at home, man, just back on that grass with a bunch of guys that's all working for one common goal. It's what I love to do. Gerald McCoy, my guest, you know, things, life is weird, time is weird. It feels like almost yesterday you and I were talking, but it wasn't yesterday. It was last year. It was shortly after you signed with the Cowboys, and I could tell you were so fired up then, too, and motivated to play for them last year. 
But then in August, you suffered a torn quadriceps tendon, which ended your season before it even began. Like, you know what you sign up for. You know the risks are involved. You know guys will get hurt. But what was that experience like for you physically and emotionally? Oh, life comes at you different ways, man. And you never know. Right? Things, you know, unexpected things happen all the time in life. But it's not about what happens to you. It's about how you react to it. And uh, I could have easily folded and said, you know what, man, I'm older. What's the point in fighting to get back? You know, let me just get healthy, call it a career, and let it be over with. But, man, I'm from the south side of Oklahoma City, man. We on fold. We fight. So uh, my I got tested mentally, emotionally, physically. But, you know, God helped me get back. And I just fought and fought and fought. And I always teach my kids to never quit. And I always teach them when times get tough, what happens? You know, it's easy to be the man when things are going great. But I want to see how mentally tough you can be when times are rough. And, and there's no way I could teach them that if I didn't show them and lead by example. So I had to get back. I, I love that response. I mean, when you go through something like that, you're going to have some dark days, no doubt about it. You already have had a great career. But to your point, you've got kids. You know they're watching. I mean, did you ever, ever at any point have a bad day where you thought about retiring? Oh, I had a bunch of dark days. That's what happens with rehab. It's not just because I'm older or been doing this a long time, anybody who goes through anything traumatic like that, you're going to have dark days where you're trying to work to get back to where you were. I mean, whether it's a sports injury, whether it's coming back from a car wreck, uh, uh, soldiers, when they work in the rehab, you know, war injuries, regardless of what it is, when you're working to get back to where you were before the traumatic experience, you're always going to have dark days. But those dark days is where you grow. What happens when you have those dark days? Are you going to let them uh, break you? Or you're going to learn from them and get better from them. And I had plenty of dark days, but those dark days is where I went the hardest, where I felt like I, I, I'm never going to get better, where I felt like I was stagnant and nothing's changing. Those are the days where I really pushed through and did extra reps because those are the days where you grow and those are the days where you get better. And I'm so thankful that I had those days because without those days, I wouldn't have got to this point. You know, if everything was easy. Sometimes you, when things are easy and things are smooth, you just kind of coast. But now, when you have those dark days and those days you got to push through, it makes you better. Quote, the good stuff is on the other side of hard. Gerald McCoy is joining us. What a great response that is. You know, plus the conversations, the ones that you and I have had over the years, I've always gotten the sense that, man, you love the game of football. You love the sport. When you sit out for a season, do you find out that maybe when you thought that you couldn't love that game any more than you do, you actually find out that you do love it more? Was there any sense of that? Absolutely. I mean, you almost said it verbatim, man. That's that's exactly how I feel. Every day I step foot in this building, I thank God for giving me another opportunity because it doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how much I push, how much I train, how great a shape I'm in. Somebody has to give me an opportunity. And this game is a privilege to play. It's not a right. And you believe that and you know it, but until you actually have to live that, it doesn't hit home. And last year and leading up to this season, it really hit home, man. It's a privilege to be in this game. You know, you sit back and you wonder free agency that went through all these things, all the time has went by and you're not getting signed. And you really realize it doesn't matter how much success you had, somebody has to give you an opportunity. Well, the Raiders did that, and I'm so blessed and thankful that they gave me this opportunity. And my love for the game has grown tenfold, you know, from what it was before. 
Gerald McCoy is joining us. So very clearly, you love the game. That's apparent. You're extremely humble. You appreciate the opportunity. What about all the work that you put in? For instance, I know you love the game. I know you love to compete. I know you love Sundays. I know you love the locker room. I know you love your teammates. But the work, I mean, do you also love the hard work and the process? If if you you have to grow to something that Greg, you know, a lot of people gave Coach Shiano a hard time about the different tactics he had and, um, you know, the different things he did. But one thing that he did teach me and a lot of my teammates that stuck with us is you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And you got to love when things are tough. And love adversity, love to fight, love to work. And Coach Marinelli, who's one of the most legendary coaches in history in this game, he gave us a paper, and the quote was work. And it had all these different examples. When things are great, work. When things are bad, work. When, when you're struggling, work. If something breaks, you can just work. If you can't figure out what you need to do, just go back to work. And you have to love to work. And that's me, man. I love getting up, going and grinding and coming in. And I, I thought that I did before, but now that it was taken from me and I got it back, I really – really have grown to love it and I cherish it man and I'm just I'm loving every opportunity I'm getting this is such a great conversation Gerald McCoy is joining us I'm so glad that you just name dropped Rod Marinelli he is one of my all-time favorites and mm-hmm. I'll be honest Gerald I haven't talked to him in a number of years when he was a head coach he would come on the program and because of things like you just said he was so great to talk to the D-line there is led by him and I've got so much respect for him what's it been like I mean aside from him saying no matter what just work when things are good work when things are bad work when things suck work just keep working what's it been like to work with him and like at the, at the Pro Bowl back in the day and now and on a daily basis when you get to see this guy and be around him what's that like Oh, you hear all the different stories. You get to you get to know, you know, from growing up, building a relationship with Warren Sapp, you hear about Rod Marinelli and all the legendary stories. Uh, one of my favorite coaches I've ever played for is Joe Cullen. You know, he was a protege of Rod Marinelli, so he was another version of Rod Marinelli, and I had to I got a glimpse of what Coach Marinelli would be from being around Joe Cullen. Then I played for Eric Washington. He was another protege and Ryan Marinelli, but then to actually be around him. You know, you go to the Pro Bowl. We get to the Pro Bowl, you want to relax. You want to enjoy practice. It's just a little walkthrough. You have fun. No, no, no. When we was with Rod, an individual, we was working. We was moving, getting our feet going, working our hands, doing all the different movements that we need to do because it's always about working. Well, to actually be on a team where he doesn't have to scale back at the Pro Bowl, it's even better. So to actually see the living legend work in person, it's a blessing to me, man, because I'm a historian of the game, man. I, I love learning about all the guys that come before me, the coaches, the players. But with him, who's such a legend, to have to be blessed, you're already blessed enough to play for the Raiders, who are, I believe, one of the foremost story franchises in NFL history, Raiders, Packers, Dallas, and Pittsburgh. So you're already getting to play for this organization. Then you get to play for a legendary coach like Rob Marinelli. I mean, it don't get no better than that. Gerald McCoy is my guest. You already got to my next point. I was going to say to you, as somebody who knows the history of the game and as a historian of the game, what about an opportunity to play for the Raiders? What did it or what made it feel like that was the right place for you and how good can this Raiders team be? I believe this team is going to catch a lot of people off guard, man. You know, uh, they, they were a few, you know, a few plays last year from winning 10 games. You know, they won eight games. But they were so just a few plays off from winning 
you know, another two, three, four games. And I believe that, you know, bringing in uh, Coach Bradley and his philosophy and bringing in a couple extra vets like Yannick, you know, Yannick is, he, he, he knows how to play this game, man. He's gotten to the quarterback a lot. He's had a lot of success in his league. You know, Casey Hayward, you bring in myself. We got a lot of vets we bring in, and, 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 it, and it helps. You teach guys how to be pros. You know, I always speak about the difference in being a professional and being a pro. When you get drafted or when you, whether you're not drafted, if you sign a contract to a team, you're a professional football player. That doesn't make you a pro. That doesn't make you know how to watch film. That doesn't make you know how to take care of your body off the field. It doesn't make you know how to uh, know what formations you're about to see and use a certain technique. That's where the vets come in. And the grind of the vets teaching the young guys how to be pros and the rough days, the tough days, and bring it all together. And then we have such a great coach and Coach Gruden, man. He's grinding us every day, but he also takes care of us, especially the vets. He, 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 we gonna work and then we gonna rest. And we do so much team camaraderie stuff, man. I, I'm really excited about what this team can be. I'm so excited about getting going and opening day, man. It's gonna be a great one. Gerald, man, you got to find a way to put the stuff in a bottle so we can bottle it and sell it, man. Make a lot yeah. of money. Listen, I love, love that comparison you just made between being a professional and being a pro. When you broke in, who was a guy or some of the guys that taught you the difference between being a professional and a pro? Uh, first and foremost, it was Davin. Oh, well, Sapp was the first person I met with. Uh, I got drafted uh, two days, three Friday next week. You know, I met with Sapp, and he set me down, talk, we talked through some things, and he helped me start teaching me different nuances. And we stayed in contact over all my times up in the NFL. Then it went to Davin Joseph, who was a, a all-pro guard for Tampa, went to University of Oklahoma. Then Vincent Jackson, God rest his soul. Vincent Jackson taught me how to be a pro. Uh, we, his, my nickname for him was the ultimate pro because he was always on. He was always on. And then you had uh, Tommy Harris, who's been mentoring me since I was in high school, uh, Josh McCown, you know, learn from him. And then uh, one person that might catch people off guard or be surprised by because I played him twice a year is Drew Brees. You know, I trained I trained with him every offseason with I think he's the best trainer in the world and Todd Durkin. And I would sit and talk to Drew about what has made him him, even dealing with the injury, turning into a first battle Hall of Famer. And he told me to set small-term goals. Start with being the best in your room. Okay, then start with being the best in the NFC South. And then start with being the best in the NFC and then work to be the best in the NFL. You just baby steps, man. Set small-term goals and you got to do it this way. Do it this way. And I just sat back and I watched all these guys work. And I listened and I watched. And then I watched Kobe Bryant interviews. I watched Beyonce interviews. I watched Michael Jackson interviews. Jay-Z, all the people who are great and professionals and historically great at what they do, you just got to sit back and learn how to do it. And that's what I did, man, and it's helped me throughout my career. Gerald McCoy, my guest. Listen, one last thought you mentioned. That's so interesting. And when you start talking about guys in other sports and people in other walks of life, I knew Kobe a little bit. Kobe lived not too far from where I live here in Southern California, Gerald. And I remember the first time he told me this, and this is not news breaking because he was on record with this, but I remember the first time he told me that his guy, the guy that he studied, the guy that he looked up to, the guy that he learned the most from maybe may have been Michael Jackson. And I was blown away mm-hmm. by that. And Kobe, I mean, now he was serious. He was dead serious about how much he respected yeah. and admired Michael Jackson. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, of course, man. Uh, there's a couple things I don't play about. The University of Oklahoma, the class of 06, my draft class, Michael Jackson, Kobe Bryant, and superheroes. <laughs> like I just, some things are non-negotiable to me. And Michael Jackson and Kobe Bryant are two of those things. So for them to go hand-in-hand hand with learning from each other or Kobe learning from Michael Jackson is like, I mean, it, it just, you can't make these things up, man. And, and I, I think it's excellent. One person I left off, well, two people, Muhammad Ali and Floyd Mayweather. I cannot leave them off. My wife would be like, I cannot believe you didn't mention Floyd Mayweather, Muhammad Ali. You watch them more than anybody. So I can't leave them off. But to see that Kobe learned from Michael Jackson, who is the greatest entertainer in history, and then Kobe Bryant worked to be who he was, man, it's just, it go hand in hand, man. And I feel like if you sit back and really want to learn and study and focus and lock in, you can really learn some stuff from these guys, and that's what I've done. All right, so last thought then. Really, that's interesting. What about Floyd? Like, arguably, understandably, Floyd is one of the best to ever do it, undefeated, untouchable. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy would go entire fights without getting hit even. What, what did you learn from Floyd? Why is he on that list for you? Success never affected Floyd. It never affected him. Like, people give Floyd a hard time about being Money Mayweather. Oh, he's arrogant. Oh, he talks too much. He, uh, yeah, but have you seen how he works? Floyd, he'll go out and go to the club. He don't even drink. You know how Floyd gets home? He runs home. He don't get in the car and get a driver. He'll hop on the street. He'll put his workout clothes and he'll jog home. He gets up at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, go to the gym. He can't sleep because he felt like he needed to get a session in. So he'll get up and go work. Floyd never let success or money affect who he was. That's why Floyd is who he is. And that's why Floyd acts the way he does because he knows the work he puts in and how he grinds. It doesn't change. Look at Floyd now. People gave Floyd a hard time about uh, this last fight he had, but I bet if people look at Floyd's Instagram and see what he's been doing the last few days, he's still training. He's always in shape. He's never not ready. And that's what makes him so great. That's what's made him historically great. So if he says he's the best ever, he works to be that way. So you can learn from that. Success and money never faced him. He always remained the same. Success leaves clues. He is a defensive tackle for the Raiders, a three-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, and my man is here to work. Gerald, it is so good to have you on the show, man. I appreciate you very much, and it's great to have that conversation. makes me want to work even harder. Great to talk to you, my man. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me, man. God bless you guys. And my last message is, regardless of what you go through, man, always cherish every opportunity you get. Tell everybody around you that you love them. The people that mean something to you, let them know. And anything you do, man, give it your all and always see everything through to the end. I love you guys, and I appreciate y'all having me. Go to Omaha, Nebraska. Kathleen, what's going on? Why not embrace the weight gain? There's nothing wrong with nice, a nice, meaty guy. Look at Bryson and Madison and Justin Herbert and Mason Rudolph, Buster, Sydney, Aaron. They're all 200 and up. They're all nice and meaty. They're the weight I would like Johannes Eckersom to be. He's a tall guy, 6'4", but he doesn't have the weight. He needs to be like a good 235, 245. If he hadn't chose music, he could have been an athlete. There's beady guys. There's nothing wrong with them. I love it. First of all, rack her. Yes, I said that, Kathleen. So Kathleen's going the other way. Kathleen is saying, hey, listen. Embrace the weight gain. Good night now!